listening to Nerds on Film with Roxy Noberry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. Okay, Gina. It's just us, Catholic to Catholic. I have to ask you a, a really pivotal question mm-hmm. about how, like, how f- friendly can we be as Catholic to Catholic? <laughs> okay. Jesus Christ Superstar or Godspell? Make your choice. Oh, shit. Which, which is it? I don't. I like them both for different reasons, though. Brian. Okay. Like okay. Like Jesus Explain. Christ Superstar is is a classic, but then I really like Godspell because it's a little bit more contemporary. Like I feel like they're very hard to compare. Do okay. I have to pick one? Okay. So if you were, let's put it this way: if you were to you know, be like a movie nerd and like say, <laughs> "Hey, it's Easter. We have already gone to mass. We have already gotten fat off of the buffet." from the day or from brunch yeah okay we need something to like sit down and enjoy while our liver goes like works overtime <laughs> goes numb to... from mimosas <laughs> exactly and to di- goes over time to digest all this food but you only have time for one movie do you pick godspell or do you pick jesus christ superstar i think if it is full easter and that's the situation i'm putting myself in it's gonna be jesus christ superstar Okay, we could be friends. Oh, yay. We could be friends. Yay, okay. I picked the right one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Yes, good. So you passed uh, phase one. Uh, phase- <laughs> oh, no, there's multiple. <laughs> Brian, I've already been confirmed. I don't need sacraments of being initiated into the podcast. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, so <laughs> I need to ask you two very important questions. So first of all, no, this is, I was going to be ridiculous. It's like, is it the Ted Neely Jesus Christ Superstar or the PBS Jesus Christ Superstar? That I think came... the only one I've seen is the Ted Neely one. Okay. And that's what most people I, would have said. The PBS the one, one but... is the one that's going to be on this year with John Legend, right? No, 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 no. That's NBC. So that's oh. the third. So PBS did, well, actually it was done, I think, in BBC, whatever they did. They did one of those weird things where like they staged the musical and then, and then they filmed oh. it, like, all around like it was being done in front of an audience, but without an actual audience. Oh, no. I haven't seen that one. I've just seen the Ted Neely version. Yeah. The um, the uh, the one from that, I think it's from around 2000, and it features, um, the only person you might recognize from it is Rick Mayle from Blackadder. Mm-hmm. He plays King Herod. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. No, I've definitely only seen the Ted Neely version. But I'm actually really looking, so this is coming out before <laughs> Easter, obviously, guys, because we didn't. We're not going to be on Easter and record this, and I'm not going to spend Easter Sunday editing this. No. <laughs> um, I am looking forward to the John Legend one because I'm very curious how he's going to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Because he is a baritone. He is a deliciously rich baritone as far as mm-hmm. m- musically speaking. But Jesus is like a high tenor part. Like, he's got to hit high E I, for some of those notes. I do so. appreciate the ethnically ambiguous Jesus, though, as opposed to the kind of parade of white Jesus that we've typically see oh totally so i i am 100 with you there gonna, yeah like i'm definitely i'm definitely going to watch it like it's gonna be interesting yeah i i agree with that but you know okay so you know what <laughs> we pass like i'm happy because i i like god i like godspell i really do i like the more contemporary uh rivet revivals of it because mm-hmm. i don't know steven swartz kind of went through this whole when he did the 70s and he did godspell and he went through um you know, making Pippin and like those earlier mm-hmm. musicals, they sound very folksy in their early like cast recordings. Mm-hmm. And I like folk music, but I just it doesn't f- it just feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. 
the more contemporary versions should have a little more rock sound worked into it. I like I can they're a little more palatable. I think I think for me also Godspell is a little bit more poignant as well because there are interesting parallels to um like things like the Laramie project. Yeah. Just in the way that they, you know, crucify Jesus in Godspell is very reminiscent of things like the Laramie project and totally you know more that, of like a trunk show kind of the feel yeah, to that, it. Yeah. That particular case. And so like I feel like that's why Godspell I think has a little bit more of like a contemporary feel to it right um but it's it's still very like hippie but also like a big i'm i'm not gonna lie to you a lot of the interpretation of godspell that i have is a dvd that my grandparents have of my cousin who lives in colorado doing like a production in high school where she was in godspell (laughs) okay so like that's a lot of the the view of godspell that i have is this production that my cousin emily was in um but like i have seen like bits and pieces of other productions but i think ultimately like it's one of those things where without jesus christ superstar we probably would not have had something like godspell so i think you you know that's part of my my reasoning too is like you kind of got to give it up for like the og jesus musical (laughs) (laughs) fair enough uh you guys and on that note and a very catholic note uh welcome to nerds on film i'm brian moriarty and i'm gina giovanetti so it's just the catholic kids uh, today, guys, and yeah. we figured, you know, it's getting ready to Easter. Since we're doing all the cliches this year, we haven't really done an Easter-themed welcome, episode yet. Welcome to two Catholic kids talk about Easter. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? What a great way to talk about Easter than talk about weird ass bunny movies. Yeah. So these are movies that we brought up because you know there's a certain level of movies that you cut. You know, especially if you grew up in like a Catholic or Easter celebrating household, there are certain movies that maybe you would expect to watch. Things like Jesus Christ Superstar or uh, the Ten Commandments or uh, I'm a big fan of Prince of Egypt. Um, or, you know, there's always Passion of the Christ, but today we'll be talking about selections for you to watch if passion is a little bit too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. If you're feeling like, well, I like spring, but you know... <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this Jesus character. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, we've got two suggestions for you. <laughs> that we do. <laughs> um, so let's start with, first of all, you like Rankin-Bass. We all like Rankin-Bass. We're all the red-nosed reindeer, right? But yeah. they also did some weird-ass shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, so fun fact. Uh, so Rankin Bass, as we mentioned, uh, actually the very first episode I was on the Lord of the Rings episode, I brought up Rankin Bass because they were the animation company that did all of the the animated Lord of the Rings or not, not the animated one, not all of them. They did The Hobbit and Return of the King. Oh, okay. Um, but for most of what we know Rankin Bass for are the their Christmas sh- Christmas specials, things like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, exactly. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Year Without a Santa Claus, all that goodness. One of the lesser known ones is a delightful film. Well, I say delightful, but Brian may think otherwise, called Here Comes Peter Cottontail. It's that same kind of puppetry that you would expect from a Rankin Bass. So it's very similar to... Yeah. Thing, you know, when you watch things like Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Um, but uh, it also features a cast of characters that are a little bit darker than some of the right. Christmas ones. Um, specifically, a villain, a kind of darker gray bunny with a sort of almost Hitler-looking haircut named Iron Tail, uh, voiced by Vincent Price. And when I brought up this movie on the last episode of the podcast, when we were trying to decide what to talk about... Um, 
Brian had never heard of it. And I was shocked because I'm sitting here just like, oh, I'm sorry. Was Vincent Price not an integral part of y'all's Easter growing up? Um, Apparently not. (laughs) He was in a very tangential sense in that he played Egghead on the Batman TV show. So in that kind of very, very weirdly distant abstract way yes he was but um <laughs> well so rankin bass did some weird shit and they really did and i said that a couple times already but but it needs it bears repeating because they they also made another movie called the easter bunny is coming to town which is like oh. their origin story of the easter bunny and it follows the same kind of tropes that santa claus is coming to town comes from like it comes from oh where do we color the eggs from oh why do we dress up all nice on easter oh, all that i never stuff. saw that one I think it does a better job of explaining w- who the Easter Bunny is. This is kind of like it ranks to me along the same lines as their adaptation of The Legend of Santa Claus, which is that Frank Baum story. Oh, yeah. Where, like, all the nature beings are like, are we going to make Santa Claus an immortal or not? Yeah. Um, it kind of feels along those same lines of, like, we're going to try it. Uh, 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 like, you know. Yeah. Fire Fourth of July eggs. Okay, let's yeah. go. Yeah. So for those of you who have not seen Here Comes Peter Cottontail, it's less of an origin story and more of just like an Easter movie. And this is something I watched growing up almost every Easter because we had it in my house on VHS. Um, and it's a TV special. It's about fifty minutes. Yeah, it's about fifteen minutes. It's under an hour. So if you have you know time to kill and would like something that's basically a pastel puppetry fueled easter fever dream uh <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great buckle way up buckle the fuck up get ready for this um so it's it's an easter story it it takes a the first of all the whole story is narrated by someone who looks like they may have repurposed the chris kringle puppet slightly from right? santa claus is coming to town that's exactly what i thought his name is a uh, seymour sassafras seymour sassafras seymour sassafras uh you open the film opens and he's on a unicycle like some hipster leprechaun <laughs> unicycling down a hill which he like falls off parachutes into the setting of the story which we then find out is a fictional area called april valley and he sets up all of his wares because his shtick is that he he basically is the one who makes all of the like vibrant colors that are used to paint the easter eggs and he sets up wares like he's the peddler at the beginning of aladdin and then somehow that is our transition into this story and what we get is the chief Easter bunny of April Valley is trying to find out who a good candidate for his successor would be as right. chief Easter bunny. And apparently he thinks that the best candidate is going to be this kind of like petulant teenager Easter bunny named Peter Bunny named Peter Cottontail. And the whole joke throughout the whole movie is that like when Peter fibs, one of his ears droops and it makes that kind of um, trombone sound like Wah, whatever the, the ear droops. Right. Um, and the, the whole thing is like, you know, Peter's excited about it, but then there's another evil bunny named Iron Tail, voiced by Vincent Price, who decides to challenge Peter for this role of Chief Easter Bunny. And in order to become Chief Easter Bunny, you have to deliver the most eggs on Easter Day. Peter decides to party the night before, and then he sleeps too late. And, you know, there's some shenanigans by Iron Tail as well, but ultimately... He Peter, rigs the, the, the rooster. The rooster. He does, yeah. Bro. But ultimately, Peter made a bad decision. He wouldn't have had to worry about the rooster if he hadn't partied the night before. Right. And Iron Tail's only able to deliver one egg because he's like creepy as hell. Um, but he he wins, and then you see April Valley kind of dissolve into misery. Into dystopian 
madness. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's all like raining on the day of Iron Tail's coronation. Also, I the reason Iron Tail is called Iron Tail is because his origin story is that when he was younger a child roller skated over his tail. So he has to wear this prosthetic, like very iron lung type iron tail that is very like robotic and very like medieval torture device looking. And so he wants to become Chief Easter Bunny to kind of take the joy of Easter away from yeah, children. He wants revenge. Exactly. He wants revenge. And he's so open about it. He is. Like, <laughs> like he's asking, why do you want to be the Easter Bunny? It's like if you, the yeah. Easter Bunny who he's, trying to look for the successor, asks him, if you hate kids so much, why do you want to be the Easter Bunny? And he says, to get even. Right. You know? And it's it's like, it's the weirdest thing. And so ultimately, in order to try to get back the, the title of Chief Easter Bunny, Peter enlists the help of Seymour Sassafras, who has a uh, time machine where it gets a little, it starts to get a little back to the future. This is where it gets a little fever dreamy. It does. It gets a little back to the future fever dreamy. And I say back to the future because as I was watching it, I was like, huh, there's something about Peter that reminds me of like, if Michael J. Fox was like an anthropomorphic bunny, I could see this. Um, but like they get a time machine from Seymour Sassafras piloted by a caterpillar named Antoine, uh, Which I, I have things to share about. You have Antoine. things to share about Antoine, yeah. um, and they they go through. They end up going through all the holidays where Peter tries to deliver Easter eggs, but masquerading them as Fourth of July eggs, as Valentine's Day eggs, as everything. Ultimately, at Valentine's Day, uh, Iron Tail catches up with them. He taints all the Easter eggs, and they turn this deep green all the way through. But hey, they're in luck. The next holiday they're coming up on is St. Patrick's Day. Peter delivers all the eggs. He wins. April Valley is returned to harmony. Right. But throughout- what, what happens to Iron Tail at that point? I, that part was unclear. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't do a great job. Uh, at the end, it's he. I think at the at the end, he's on his way to do something else, and he gets caught by like Santa Claus or something. Right, because there's and a then, Christmas egg moment too. Yeah, yeah, and then there's a brief moment where at the very end, like over the credits, it shows that he's been demoted to like April Valley sanitation. You see him in like a jumpsuit with like a janitor's brush. Um, but other than that, it's not widely resolved at the end. So also throughout this movie, there's a lot of like strange songs. There's a character yeah. that is a talking Easter bonnet um, because the because Seymour Sassafras is like the person in charge of the colors. You get a lot of like color filters over different things. It's very trippy. You can literally, you can tell that these were the people who were like, "What's this thing?" They call it LSD. Well, let's try it. <laughs> it's it's a very very trippy Easter. Yeah. And rewatching it as an adult, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> so, so this is why I'm the way I am. So okay, you should have seen my face. So I was watching this today, <laughs> folding laundry, and I, and I missed that Antoine was a caterpillar. I just see what looks like a very human face and the palette cap and all that stuff and mm-hmm. him sitting in the time machine, not seeing his body. And then I cut to a musical number where it's him with like, I'm assuming is his caterpillar wife. Yeah, she kind of comes out of nowhere yeah. and looks like they put the head from Jessica from Santa Claus is Coming to Town exactly. on a caterpillar body. Right. <laughs> and so I see them and I see them doing what looks like they're humping. With So I just see <laughs> human heads humping with caterpillar bodies. I'm just like, what the f- 
fuck is going on? Yeah, that's definitely an issue Rankin Bass had with this one, where, like, you see the little woodland creatures and things in things like Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and they look like woodland creatures just with maybe slightly altered faces, so they look a little bit more personified. The caterpillar characters in this are just caterpillar bodies with human puppet heads, and it's... It's unsettling. It's it is unsettling, and it's it's very very strange. It's like the Easter version of Human Centipede. <laughs> no, Brian, it's not. Don't no. make that comparison. Okay, sorry. Okay, that's maybe it's a bit too much of a stretch. I apologize. <laughs> but okay, so you know, it very much the recycling thing because uh, I could have sworn that the face of the witch that they used for for the Halloween segment mm-hmm. was like the head of one of. It, maybe it was Burgermeister's head. No, no. Maybe it was Heatmeister's head. No, maybe it was... Mrs. Like, I, I, I don't know, but I looked like it, I saw the face before. They look very... Like, Rankin-Bass does have a very um, unique look to their characters, whether right. they're animated or puppeted. Um, but yeah, no. The the witch, she looks kind of like, um, like the Mrs. Elf or whatever in... The, like, Mrs. Toymaker in... Uh, Santa Claus is coming. That's to what town. it was. Thank yeah, you. She, yes, she's also got that kind of you know chubby old woman kind of body, which like also the way like that scene is resolved so quickly, where Iron Tail calls her up and is just like, "Hey, I need you to like scare this rabbit for me," and she tries to, and he's not having it, and then she just like falls apart. She's like, "Oh God, I'm a failure," and then he gives her a Halloween egg, and she's cool with it. Like the problems in this movie are very quickly resolved by Easter the eggs. By <laughs> Easter eggs yeah. and within the course of 50 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very weird story. And I'll also mention that, like, Iron Tail is a villain of his own creation because, like, he chose... You could have chosen any other material to make your prosthetic tail out of. Mm-hmm. Like, you literally could have made it out of fucking cotton and yeah. had the same look and feel of your previous tail. But he chose Iron. And I guess probably because he didn't want to mimic Cottontail's yeah. last name. But nevertheless... He could have done anything, but mm-hmm. instead he decides to make his, you know, his tail look like a medieval torture weapon. Exactly. And, like, he chooses to, I think part of this is also because they knew they were getting Vincent Price as the voice. But, like, he lives off in a very, like, you know, Frankenstein's tower looking, um, almost like the the inside of the lab from Nightmare Before Christmas. There's very things much, like, yeah. a, like a rocket and a telescope and, like, spider webs and things all up in the cave that yeah. he lives in. His form of transportation is a bat named uh, Montresor, which is a delightfully, um, like, deep cut, not super deep cut if you went to the same middle school I did, like Edgar Allan Poe reference from Castle of Amontillado, which is really funny because the whole thing in Cask of Amontillado is like, now looking back on it as an adult, I think it's really funny that that's what the bat's name is because um, in Cask of Amontillado, there's two characters. It's Montressor and Fortunato. Fortunato somehow wronged Montressor um, and uh, Montressor kind of ultimately exhibits his revenge on Fortunato. Um, Read the story, it's great. But Montressor also goes about telling Fortunato that the family crest is a foot stepping on a snake and the snake biting it. And it's something to the extent of, if you hurt us, we will exact our revenge on you, even if it kills us or something like that. And so now watching this movie, I think it's really funny (laughs) that like, that's basically what happened to Iron Tail is a kid roller skated over his tail and now he's trying to exact the right. revenge. I feel so. like this is the kind of movie that like a 10-year-old Tim Burton 
watched on TV and was like, this movie speaks to me. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I will now create Vincent. Like, yeah, totally. Or Frankenweenie. Now, what disappointed me is this movie was made in 1971, and the Batman TV series ended in 1968. <laughs> and there was not one egg pun made by Vincent Price in this movie. <laughs> I just wanted one like exquisite or excellent. Oh my god! Because he's trying to deliver eggs. Like, he is. Yeah. That's, it it would have made sense, but no, there was no callback at that point no. between those properties. So. No, I think it's funny too because uh, I found the film online, um, but I was then like, wait, but I want to relive my childhood every Easter. I'm gonna try to find this on DVD. So I pulled up Amazon and I found a DVD of it. And the very first Amazon review on there is one star. And typically when you get a one star Amazon review, it's because it was like never delivered or something. No, no. This was someone who was like, don't let your kids watch this movie at Easter. The images are super scary. It's not a feel good Easter movie like you would expect from the Christmas Rankin Basses. And, you know, it's scary. The villain looks like Dracula. Um, and the the Peter Cottontail is a whiny teenager who fibs and that's not an example for kids. And this person was just ripping on this movie. And I'm just like, yeah. wow. Yeah, this is exactly what I grew oh. up with every Easter. Though. We, we forgot to mention that Casey Kasem is the voice of uh, Peter Cottontail. N- is it? It oh, sounds it a lot like him. Is it Casey? K- well, I know. No, yeah, because you know what? Danny Kay was like everybody else. Yeah, I he, think, yeah Danny Kay oh, was the narrator. Was it Casey Kay? Yeah, he was. That, Danny Kay was the voice of Seymour Sassafras. Yeah, and like uh, like Antoine and like Chief Bunny and everything. Right. He was a bunch of the voices. Right, right, oh, right. Oh my God, was it Casey Kasem? It sounded, because I just, I heard tiny little like essences of Shaggy slash like uh, 70s cartoon Robin. Yeah, no, I can see it. Uh, I'm actually going to look that up right now. As she's looking that here. up, I'll just fill the void with yeah. talking. Yeah, no, but like it's it's one of those things where again, like it's something that I watched as a kid and I really enjoyed and didn't think there was anything weird about it. But looking back on it and just like I didn't realize how weird it was until I was trying to describe it yeah. to Brian. Yeah. I'm not sure what's weirder. <laughs> the fact that it, this movie was made or the fact that it's also been remade because there is now a modern day computer generated oh version of Peter Cottontail, which I'm pretty sure is Whoa. on Netflix. Yeah, no, I see an image of it here, and I'm just like, but if you look up Here Comes Peter, it's it's called Here Comes Peter Cottontail, the movie, but the image that they have of the bunny on the front looks more horrifying than the puppets in the original. Right, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. He looks like a cracked out He bunny. does? Yeah. What the hell? Oh, God, what is this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm. we didn't watch the remake, but, you know. Don't. It... <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, if, if I thought this one was bad, whew. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was Casey Kasem. It was Casey Kasem. Oh, okay. man. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. There you have it. <laughs> well, okay. So I know we're only in like 20 minutes into this this episode, but. You know what? If we have time at the end, we can talk about other stuff. It's that's cool. fine. That's cool. Um. <laughs> So let's let's take a turn here, and so maybe if the Rankin Bass claymation special isn't quite what you're feeling, then maybe we can have a conversation about mutant rabbits that ravage a small town. Yeah, if the LSD puppet fever dream is not weird enough for your Easter, check out Brian's pick, <laughs> Night of the Lepus, also an early '70s gem. <laughs> 
um, which apparently has a riff tracks for, by the way, if you mm-hmm. want to watch. So it, on, it costs two ninety nine on iTunes. So it's a bummer that you couldn't find it for any through any of the subscription based media. But it is. Um, it does feature uh, DeForest Kelly. Uh, in, in a supporting not, role. Not DeForest Whitaker. <laughs> like I said last week in the, off the mic. Thank you for reminding me of my Oh, I didn't realize mistake. you edited that out. My bad. Yeah, I did edit that out. Because actually, we had stopped recording when I said that. Oh, my bad. It's fine. So I, okay, I'll just say it. So guys, I accidentally said DeForest Whitaker. And I knew in my head, I was like, that's not right. What did I just say wrong? And it's it's DeForest Kelly, who otherwise known as Bones yeah. from the original Star Trek. Yes. Um. He plays a doctor in it, and basically the premise is there's farm ranch land that's that's <laughs> being uh, ravaged by uh, a, a rabbit population that's not dying out because they killed, I think, all of their predators um, mm-hmm. from another treatment. And so what ends up happening is they consult with these zoological experimental doctors who decide, well... That's not working. Maybe we can come up with a disease that will only affect the rabbits and that will control the population. That doesn't work. Hmm. Maybe hormones will do it. And so they feed them hormones. And what ends up happening is they turn into these giant human-sized, like horse-sized carnivorous rabbits. Mm -hmm. And they just start murdering everything yeah and it's like the rabbit from monty python and the holy grail but gigantic sized and there's a bunch of them yeah okay so (laughs) so first of all you could tell this was a budget horror movie because oh yeah they basically the way they created the effect was they just took rabbits and they put them they pitted them through a set of miniatures for most of the effect shots. And most of them were like close-ups of like, they put red food coloring on their teeth so you mm-hmm. could like make them, it was very alien-like that you could see, oh, I'm just going to see the teeth, you know? And they also put in like screeching sounds and like sounds that they modulated from rabbits to make them sound more terrifying. Mm-hmm. And they also had them running in slow motion. This was a big thing in the 70s <laughs> in horror movies. It's like, I'm going to terrify you because your your enemy is running at you in slow motion. <laughs> And they did that. And then they also, they did have, like, a couple shots of a guy in a rabbit suit who was going through and, like, eating, ho- like, attacking horses and attacking, like, a guy. And mm-hmm. What I what I appreciate about, appreciate about this is I read up on a little bit of it was that when the trailer came out, they tried to kind of hide what the creature was because not, a, like, I'll, you know, in the 70s, not everybody is going to know that lepus is a term for rabbit. And so when it says Night of the Lepus, they were trying to pitch it as some, like, creepy, mutanty, weird creature. And then a bunch of people went to the theater and it's just big ass rabbits. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so the funny thing is I have relatives uh, who this was like one of the first movies they saw in a drive-in. Maybe not the first, but they first saw this movie at a drive-in with friends. It was like their first horror movie that they went and saw at a drive-in. I'm like, that's a hell of a thing to see. And especially when like you're maybe 13, 14 and you're hanging out with older friends who know how to drive. Mm-hmm. Like, was this, I really want to know, like, was this scary? Like, at that age, at that time, or did they think it was ridiculous back then, too? You know? I What I read was that it was kind of universally panned, and with the excuse of, you just can't make fluffy bunnies scary. 
Like, I almost got a very, um, like, I was watching this and I almost got a, like, if R.L. Stein wrote Dan Brown's Inferno kind of <laughs> feel from it. Um, okay. Goosebumps, like, yeah, to kill it's, rabbits. It's, it's very Goosebumps. Like, I got a very... Bonicula. Um, yeah, Bonicula. Like, there's a there was a series of, of Goosebumps books called Monster Blood, where it was if you ate this, like, slime toy, you would grow super big. And I think it's the second one where, like, the class hamster eats it and then they end up with this, like two-story hamster that's what i was thinking of when watching this like the movie takes itself completely seriously but has all of the camp and cheese of a goosebumps book totally yeah (laughs) and i think therein lies the problem is like the tone of the movie was exactly what you said if they wanted to make these rabbits terrifying they needed a bigger budget they they needed to take them and develop like a, a mutant rabbit look not just make them giant rabbits it's like taking um there was another movie where they did that. I think there was – wasn't there, like, some Ed Wood movie where they basically, like, they took an iguana and they just put him on a set and, like, like oh, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It, that's – okay. So it would be like trying to do a Godzilla movie with mm-hmm. an iguana. Yeah. You know, and, and a bunch of miniatures. It, it just doesn't quite work. If you want to make rabbits scary, you just give them all the Watership Down treatment. <laughs> like, for those of you who have not seen Watership Down – don't because you'll be terrified um but like that's another one where like rabbits are the central focus but it's all an allegory for world war one so at one point like poison or gas is introduced and you see these images of like very rabid like foaming at the mouth animated rabbits um yeah if you want to make bunnies scary give them the watership down treatment (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it's just it's weird so uh I don't know what else to really say about that movie because it just it was one of those movies where I we, we had watched it last year and I think what caught me what gave me pause is we were at my in-laws house it was the night before Easter mm-hmm. and we turned on Turner Classic Movies and Turner Classic Movies was running it <laughs> and again it's the night before Easter so you can tell okay so obviously they're trying to make a parallel here someone had that train of thought <laughs> exactly like Someone got paid to program that night and put mm-hmm. that there. You could have picked Harvey. You could have picked <laughs> um, any number of movies that happened to feature rabbits in it. But that was the one that they decided to go with. So very, very strange to me. Um, okay, so here's what I have to say. Since with this took not nearly as long as I thought it was going to Well, Because these are take. also both very, like, Here Comes Peter Cottontail is super short. Night of the Lepus was just like, okay... This all happens in it, but it 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 seems like it took like the move like Night of the Lepus. The one impression I got from it was like there's a lot of like filler oh, totally. material in it because yeah. it's just like okay, great, we don't have enough to fill this movie, so let's put it in. And let, God, was every child in a B movie like this just the most obnoxious thing ever? The daughter of the main character is the most obnoxious child oh, I have absolutely. ever met. Yeah. Also. <laughs> oh, so I'm sorry. There's one more thing I have <laughs> yeah. to say. So first of all, so there's this bit in the climax where like they start attacking the horses, but then so Janet Lee plays the main woman. Mm-hmm. She's the the wife doctor of the zoologist couple and her daughter. They get trapped, and like there's this scene where like they're at their camper, and you can tell a ring of rabbits are watching them, mm-hmm. like waiting for their moment to strike. So literally, they take like emergency flares and they like set like a ring of fire around their camper for protection but i'm also like you just trapped yourself like yeah that fire is eventually going to spread inward and you're fucked at that point yeah also like 
Speaking of drive-ins, can we can we talk about how they ultimately solve this problem? Yes, at the let's end talk of the about film, this, Brian. Yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> so ultimately, their decision to round up all of these rabbits is to get a bunch of like teenagers who are at a drive-in to turn on their headlights and like herd all of these rabbits towards like a giant trap that's been erected. So they try to like herd all of these rabbits toward this trap with both. Uh, teenagers car headlights and like gunfire from the local militia to like scare them all somewhere they're all just basically rounded up and either shot or electrocuted and that's that's how this problem is dealt with yeah yeah and then, <laughs> and then it's just like okay and then the the epilogue is so weird it's like it takes place on a track where like the guy is like the the main doctor guy is working out and then DeForest Kelly comes and talks to them mm. and like boy that was some weird shit you know <laughs> like basically that's what it was it was like boy that was some weird shit but you know what I think we became friends out of this I should you should come over to our ranch one day you know what? I think we'd like to do that you know and that's how it ends like I literally think, I think they end as more than friends right <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> look at their relationship throughout the movie I think they're more than friends also isn't there some implication that like at the end it's like okay great everything has been restored because like now coyotes are coming back to the area right. or something but then it leaves that very ambiguous it closes it zooms in on, on the rabbits two rabbits and then it has that weird like 70s synth uh, yeah, like, like dissonant yeah. chord feeling like, uh-oh, they might still be there. Like, yeah. they were actually going to launch a franchise out of this. Yeah, I think, like, I remember reading something, and it was like, okay, well, it was given a little bit of credit because it was attempting to do this, like, subset of horror that's, like, eco-horror, where it kind of wants you to think about your greater picture of things like, well, like, what pesticides do I use and that sort of thing? Because at one point, um, they're talking about trying to get rid of the rabbits and putting, like, poison out and like you know like rat basically like rat poison right. out in the field but then totally. the farmers can't do that because they have cows out there that are grazing and if they have to bring the cows in now and slaughter them they're going to get sold at the worst <laughs> time of the year or like at the beginning they they seek out this zoologist who is looking at bats and trying to like do some introduce some hormone to control the flight patterns of bats so they can go to where mosquitoes are and take care of mosquitoes and he's like oh yeah like they this, uh, the bats will do the same job as DDT without any of the damage. And it's like, right. oh, God, nobody uses DDT anymore because they found out it was like making bald eagle eggs too thin or something. But <laughs> right. like, this you is all like yeah. silent spring stuff up in here. <laughs> you could definitely tell they were like preaching the early preachings of the, yeah. the pro-organic food movement. Yeah. Uh, and I actually <laughs> hadn't thought about that. And then I was like, oh, no, actually, that does make sense in a really, really weird way. But also... I think there's not much more to talk about because if you take out all of the slow motion rabbit stuff, the movie's like 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's an hour and a half movie. <laughs> half the movie is rabbits running in slow motion or foreboding tone of people putting themselves in situations where they're about to get attacked yeah, by a rabbit. I think, I think one of my favorite things was the uh, the housekeeper like very slowly looking out the window and then the zoom in of her eyes getting wide. The giant rabbit coming through the window and just like... And then and then you see what basically looks like the scene from Monty Python where it goes for the neck, <laughs> right. the blood spurts out. Like Oh, and this is horrific oh, stage God. blood too. It's like bright red. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it looks like someone just got like they they literally just like threw raspberry jam yeah. on them. There we go. That 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 looks nice and fresh out of the carotid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Right. <laughs> uh, but I actually think this movie needs to be remade. I do. I think it deserves <laughs> 
their treatment it, it really needed, which was that tongue-in-cheeky, like, mm-hmm. horror camp kind of design with yeah, it. Yeah, one, one that, like, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be a horror movie. Like, I, I'd i almost want to see it done in the style of, like, when uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino did that Grindhouse totally, project. Totally, exactly, Where yeah. it's like, these knew what they were, and they were being done in that style, but they were very, like, self-indulgent and irreverent. And, like, I feel like that would be the kind of treatment Night of the Lepus should get. Totally. And then you could absolutely throw in like characters who are like overly animal rights activists yeah and you know you have these characters you have the rabbits who are very clearly they have to look terrifying they have to take their cute little buck teeth Mm -hmm. and make them into sharp xenomorph like teeth you know (laughs) uh i'm not saying you take their eyes and their fur away you can keep the eyes and the fur but like you gotta do something to to scare them up a little bit here you go you give them xenomorph teeth but just the two just the two just the the two xenomorph teeth and then the sound is that like velociraptor screech and there you go you now have a movie that terrifies both of the catholic kids in this room (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly um so there you have it but you know what i don't think this easter movie would be complete Mm -hmm. if this movie marathon would be complete if we didn't have to we have to touch at least some biblical movie at this point (laughs) i think at this point we 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 not planned for this. We have to no, talk about. No, this is a very interesting segue, Brian. <laughs> yeah. I didn't come prepared for this. I, it's fine, you know. It's <laughs> fine. So I have to ask you. So, what actually is your go-to movie to watch on Easter? So a lot of the time, I don't have time to watch a movie on Easter because we do a lot of splitting of the time. I have a big family that all lives in a very close area. So typically Easter morning is with my mom's side of the family. And then Easter evening or afternoon, you know, dinner is with my dad's side of the family. My dad's side of the family recently, they've had this trend of making turducken, which is awesome. Um, and Easter. Then, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, it happens. Okay. I'll, I'll talk about that later off mic. But um in the morning, we usually do brunch. And when I was a kid, it would be at my grandparents' house, but they're getting on in years. So it's going to be at our house this year. And so usually after going to 7.30 a.m. Easter Mass, that's right. That's, you know, even young Gina hauled ass out of bed that early um, to go to church uh, on Easter. It's that and then brunch. And then there's like a little bit of a break. And then we're at my dad's side. Of the, we're with my dad's side of the family for a lot. So I don't have a ton of time on Easter. So usually if we're going to watch a movie, it's like the night before. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, it definitely was Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Uh, the last couple years, I forget what channel it is, they run the Ten Commandments. So usually I catch some point of the Ten Commandments on Easter Eve. But um, that movie is like eight hours long. Yeah, it's a commitment. It's almost four hours long. It's, it's... a commitment. My comment last year was like, ah, oh, yes, going to settle in for four hours of historically accurate costuming. Very tongue in cheek because damn, those women's outfits are spangly. They oh, are, my yeah. God. But, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's unfortunately a movie that. It has its place in cinema history for its grandeur and, mm-hmm. you know, boy, Cecil B. DeMille really loved this movie because he, he remade it twice. Yeah. No, it was originally a silent film back in the 30s. <laughs> so he's like, this is the movie he wanted to go out on was a, a re, like a three and a half hour remake. <laughs> Every couple of years, I'm going to remake Ten Commandments and it's just going to get better and better and, and bigger better. <laughs> and bigger. Um, so my grandparents loved watching 
old biblical movies during i mean in addition to watching jesus christ superstar they would watch like old biblical movies the the weekend of easter so they would definitely watch that they would probably also watch the robe what have you ever seen the robe no okay so this is a weird one it was definitely made in like the 60s i want to say early 60s and it uh is about a roman soldier the roman soldier who literally wins jesus's robe from the dice oh, game. Oh, interesting. So he kind of like, so you never see Jesus's face. You see him from behind. You see him working his miracles and you see him crucified. Mm-hmm. And you see the soldier winning the robe. And then he eventually, he thinks he's being cursed by the robe because all these bad things are happening. And it really what it is, is he's, he sees that this man wasn't actually a threat and he's mm-hmm. he helped murder someone who is innocent. So yeah. he's riddled with guilt. He's going mad. And then finally, he comes across the apostles of Jesus and the followers of Jesus, and eventually Peter, mm-hmm. uh, who looks very Jesus-like, by the way, in this movie. But mm-hmm. um, And it's, wow, I'm drawing a blank, but it's played by the same actor who played Klaatu in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, okay. I know who you're talking about, but I'm blanking on the name as well. Exactly. So it's played by that same actor. Uh, and, you know, the one of like the crux of the story is like you know he gets the the movie's very much about doubts and have and no faith does he become the disciple that replaces judas uh no he doesn't become the disciple who replaces judas he does become a believer um and i think it's rich i might be i could be wrong it might be richard burton who plays the Hmm. uh let me okay i'm sorry i'm now googling the robe it's from 1953 Hmm. so i was kind of right with early 60s um it is Richard Burton. Richard Burton plays uh, the main character, the Roman soldier. So um, it's kind of crazy. And then Peter is played by Michael Rennie, who, again, was also oh, okay. Klaatu. Um, tons of great actors and lots of like actors who you can tell their voices have been impersonated by voice actors in the, mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, the guy who plays Caesar definitely has that kind of serpent-like villain voice. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, he has this moment where he's coming to know the followers of Jesus and then one of the followers of Jesus is talking about Peter and how this man was with Jesus from the very very beginning <laughs> to the very very end even when Jesus was being put on trial he never <laughs> never de- denied his faith and Peter's just like um um oh. um uh, oh no <laughs> um, he's like uh, <laughs> trying to get the guy uh, and so like and Basically, Richard Burton goes like, why did you go, um, um, um? And then he's like, I denied him. When, when he needed me, I denied him. And so, it's like, it's this whole, like... He... Is, is it a comedy? No, it's not. Oh. It really isn't. I mean, I'm, I'm overly, I'm oh, overly okay. doing it. There's just, really what it is, is the guy's saying it, and there's this look on Peter's face is like, this, none of this is true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, the, and there is this one moment where Peter... An acts of miracle, he heals somebody, one of mm-hmm. like the one of the soldier's friends, uh, and then he eventually has to, you know, be uh, prove his faith, and you know he rejects the Roman religion and mm-hmm. in front of you know Caesar and all that stuff, and it's a it's a very like it's a it's just it's a very biblical movie, the best mm-hmm. way I can describe it. Um, That's solid. Yeah, and Richard Burton gives some exquisite acting and i mean that <laughs> not just in the sense of he's a good actor but man he does some he hams it the fuck up in a couple of like when he when he's like going mad well a lot of those early biblical movies especially they were they're very theatrical in the sense that like 
you know, a lot of theater has the tendency to like overact in that particular way. And I think that's that's pro- that's what I feel like is probably happening here. It's the the drama is just pumped up so hard. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. And then, you know, we had this thing for a while where that we used to watch Jesus of Nazareth, but it's the same thing as like, why would you watch the Ten Commandments? Because it's it's a, that in and of itself is like that's like a six hour movie. It's, I think it's actually four hours, but like if you watch it on TV with commercials, it's just like, God, this is a slog. Exactly. <laughs> God, am I going through the desert for 40 years right now? Because that's what watching this movie feels and like. And that's, I think, exactly what Franco Zeffirelli wanted you to feel. <laughs> He's like, I want, I want you to feel like you are Jesus in the desert. <laughs> Miserable. Miserable. We, you, you may want to, in fact, carry the cross. And <laughs> nail yourself to the cross to stop watching this movie. <laughs> but you won't. <laughs> oh, so good. Oh. And uh, Oh, that's insane. <laughs> hopefully, listeners, if you thought my Italian accent was offensive, you know what? Right in. I was curious. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're cool. I think my, you're... Y'all, my last name is Giovanetti. We know this is Italian. Okay, it's so you, you've given me a little bit of a pass. Okay, yeah, thank you. I appreciate bit. that. You, what I'm what I'm not going to give you the pass on is that you weren't doing the... Like, I wasn't it, doing you, the... You didn't have enough hand motion to properly convey an Italian man. <laughs> oh, well, considering this is an audio podcast, <laughs> none of our listeners are missing any of that. Well, so. I noticed, Brian. That'll you know... be what I call you out for. <laughs> Oh, well, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. It wouldn't be Easter if there wasn't a little bit of Catholic guilt uh, Not associated at all. with this. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the other things I do like to watch uh, that, like, it aired, I believe, when I was in, like, mid-high school. There's an Easter episode of South Park that's really good. <laughs> okay. Um, if you want to get in a little sacrilege on Easter, they came out with this episode around Easter time like at the height of when the Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons and that whole Dan Brown thing was really big. Okay. And there, have you not seen this one? Uh, no, I haven't. They're, like, that's basically what it is, is that they find out that I think it's Stan's dad is part of this order that like, Stan's dad is like obsessed with Easter and he makes like a big show about it every year. And he's just like, dad, why the hell are you so obsessed with Easter? And then like his dad imparts to him all of this knowledge of the secret order of like St. Peter was was actually a rabbit and they have all this very like da vinci code <laughs> logic of like well look at the pope's hat it's ridiculous that's because it was intended for a rabbit and like they have this one rabbit that is supposedly the descendant of the original like peter rabbit pope <laughs> and they're trying to like the like the actual like catholic pope is trying to like destroy it and there's a lot of like irreverent humor about it and there's a point where um I forget, it's one of the like in order like at one point one of the kids and jesus get captured and like put in jail and jesus is just like wait but if you kill me i can resurrect outside of the jail cell and then one of the kids actually has to like kill jesus and i think it's oh which one is it is it Kyle, which one's the Jewish one? Kyle? It's Kyle, yeah. Yeah, Kyle has to kill Jesus <laughs> oh, so he can resurrect outside of the jail cell. And like the last thing he says before he does it is just like, Eric Cartman can never know about this. And there's like <laughs> there's like a whole ninja fight with the Pope at the end. And at one point they go to like this old guy's house who has all the evidence who's like, if you've seen the Da Vinci Code or read it, 
It's like the Ian McKellen, like, professor character, and, like, ninjas come through the window, and so uh, Kyle or Stan or whoever can escape with this rabbit. He's like, okay, I can buy you some time, and he puts a box of peeps in the microwave and puts, like, a one-minute timer on it, and at one point, like, the ninjas come in, and they're like, oh, God, what's he doing? And it zooms in, and they're like, no, peeps, and then you see, like, the you see the timer on the microwave go off, and then it pans out to the mansion where Marshmallow then spills out the windows. <laughs> Everywhere. So it's just like every Easter stereotype rolled into one bit of... Like bad sa- action of, movie. Of bad action Da Vinci Code sacrilege. Yeah. But it's so funny. Okay. Well, since we're on the topic of South Park Easter-ish <laughs> episodes, one of my personal favorites is when Kyle goes and sees The Passion of the Christ. Oh, my God. Right? It's just like his facial reactions. It's like him getting like sick and like violent and throwing up and then mm-hmm. where they introduced crazy Mel Gibson for the first <laughs> first time in the uh yeah. in the show. Um that one's a pretty pretty good. Also what's the other one? There was another one with um it was like all the bishops and it's like there's you find out there's an intergalactic wing of the Catholic Church who comes. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, no. Yeah, I think that one was actually that was a little more scandalous. That was where I think that was their one where they had deal with the the abuse oh, scandal. Yeah. Um weird but okay so <laughs> there's a lot of really weird easter stuff out there you guys it's not as popular as as the christmas ones because i think easter is a little bit more religion heavy christmas is is able to kind of separate between like religious christmas and non-religious christmas um sometimes easter is not that easy to make that divide it really isn't and unless it's... you're like actually pagan <laughs> Pretty much. Like, really, it's like, we like spring, and we like all the things that we associate with spring. I like spring and mimosas. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're celebrating. And, you know, Jesus, he's he's cool. He's, he, he's cool, too. Oh, so it's not some sort of, like, viewable media, but there's a great David Sedaris piece called Jesus Shaves. Um, that that it's him and he talks about being in like in English as a second language class and there's people from all kinds of different cultures and they they talk about uh, they talk about how Easter traditions in so many different cultures are so different. So like in Italy, there's a big culture where they like dye all the eggs red for a particular reason. One of the cultures has like an Easter bell or something. That's what brings the the presents. Um, there's something, there's ones that are more Jesus heavy. And because the whole thing is this ESL class or this, you know, America class or whatever was trying to explain the Western Easter traditions and all of these people from other cultures are so confused. And like the big one that stands out to David Sedaris is like the bell and people seem to be getting really caught up on like, wait, you have like a bell? Like that's your Easter mascot? And you know, as he goes on this whole thing, he talks about how inspiring it is to br- to be able to bring all of these cultures together and oh, isn't it so nice that we can all have an understanding and this kind of beautiful melting pot of cultures he ends on that statement and then there's what i imagine to be a brief bit of a pause and the the vignette ends on the line a bell though that's fucked up and (laughs) jesus shaves is a delightful piece by david sedaris like if you're into like satire and want to consume easter related media that's not viewable uh jesus shaves is a fun piece (laughs) awesome well you know what i really want to know what some of our followers think of as they're like odd easter Mm -hmm. movie pick and it could you know what 
even if it's not Easter related, I want to know what is it that makes you want to watch that movie on that day in particular? You yeah. Know? If, you know, if Easter is something that you celebrate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like we didn't even talk about Hop because I haven't, honestly, oh, I haven't yeah, seen we, it. Be, listen, guys, this was told, you were told this at the beginning. This is two Catholic kids talk about Easter. So you got a lot of the very kind, you, you got a good chunk of Jesus centric Easter movies. But yeah, there are more modern things like Hop or like the, the uh, Beatrix Potter, Peter Rabbit that right. came out recently. So what are, what are things you like to watch on Easter or your children like to watch on Easter? Yeah, indeed. Um, and with that, let's segue to feedback. Listener feedback. Yeah. Ooh, there's feedback. Only one. And it's actually, I have to ask for an apology because it was from a listener who is one of our best listeners. It's from Tom Whitby. Mm. Uh, and he sent it to us through our Facebook uh, messaging system. And I, because I hadn't marked the message as unread, because uh, when you read it, it automatically right. files it in a different place. Um, I forgot to, to add it to our feedback lineup from the last episodes. So he actually has some bad movie mashups that he would like Ooh, yes. to share with yes. us. So I'm going to pull those up right now. There's more of them. Here we go. So he came up with... Uh, oh, my God. He came up with so many. So first yes. of all, he said... Uh, Tom writes in that he loved the Oscars episode. Um, th- he thought I did pretty well considering how inebriated I was. <laughs> yes, drunk Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and here are some mashups. Forgive me if there are any repeats. The Secret Garden State. Okay, that that would be like a super hipster secret garden. Right, totally. And it's a guy who has to go back to his family estate when his parents... Those Actually, those two plots might actually those act, merge. Th- I feel like those would actually merge pretty well because, like, Natalie Portman's character has the whole thing where she... Um, she's epileptic right, right yeah. and then there's the kid in the movie in like the movie colin. Or no yeah. not colin no um uh yeah no it is colin dickon is the cool one That's colin right. colin's the one who they think can't walk because right. he was like born prematurely and kind of looks like tom felton but isn't tom felton so <laughs> right. it has that very sour face look to him i feel oh those those could work. You see them go out to like the English moors and start screaming. Like, <laughs> oh, so, oh, oh, Tom, this is a good one. That's great. Uh, the next one, the hills have eyes wide shut. That one is just that would be a weird one, like yeah, a bunch I... of mutant orgy that it seems. Oh like... no! Yeah, uh, I feel like they'd fit, but it would be horrific. <laughs> the Phantom Thread Menace. So. <laughs> So in a galaxy far, far away, the House of Woodcock dresses all of the the finest senators in, in, the, Repu- in the Republic. They're, they're, they're the Naboo. Uh, yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's like the lead dress, like, robe maker on Naboo. And yes, uh, he somehow gets elaborate. Yeah, he gets in, like in entrapped in, in the whole galactic debate with the Trade Federation. That would be hilarious. Like when I recently read uh, a book called... Um, it's a Leia Princess of Alderaan, and it's kind of a Leia backstory. Oh, okay. And they, there's, a, there's actually a plot point in there that has to do with, like, her going to Naboo. And one of the things they talk about is, like, how elaborate the dresses are. Like, that could definitely work. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there's also uh, To Kill a Mockingjay, part one and two. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, nothing, nothing mixes well like dystopian and racism. Yeah. <laughs> right, here those, we go. Those things mix. Yeah. Badly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Orange is the new Black Panther. 
I feel oh that's that one might be a little real with yeah. uh incarceration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Uh Tom oh sorry, Tom. Tomb Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, that one actually could kind of work. Like almost like I almost want to see that as not even like a mix up. I want to see that as a mashup of Laura Croft and Indiana Jones yeah. like, working side by side. I mean that's that's just basically like Lady Indiana Jones. Basically, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the next one is uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Traveler's Wife. Okay. So I, I've i only seen parts of Time, Traveler's Wife, so figuring out that one would be... I haven't seen A Wrinkle in Time, nor have I read the book. Uh, I did hear the movie was a lot of fun, though. Okay. How about Ready Player Rogue One? Would watch. <laughs> I, I will say right now... There are some things about the promotional stuff I've seen for Ready Player One that my excitement for it has waned a little bit. Um, a lot of it is because of skinny Artemis. I fully admit that I, as a like plus-size woman, saw a little bit of myself reading about curvy Artemis. And the fact that the author very much said she was not super skinny, yet they chose to make her super skinny in the film. It's a little annoying to me, mm. but would still watch Ready Player Rogue One. Okay, fair. <laughs> Okay, now these are the best ones. These are like we start mixing triple yes, mashups. Yes, yes. My Fair Lady, Birdman on Fire. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that is that's four movies in there. So My Fair Lady, Birdman, Man on Fire, right? Okay, and, oh, and, and, Lady and, then, and then Lady Bird. And Lady Bird. Oh. That's four, Brian. Oh my god. Well, he didn't oh put god. Birdman together, so you put Birdman. So I yeah, yeah. it's still four though. <laughs> oh shit, you're right. Tom, you're gonna have to help us on out in that one. How would you put that? those four movies together that's a lot okay so let's see so a um a former child actor who now goes to a catholic high school hires a uh a famous acting coach coach to groom her for her broadway uh while also trying to solve the story of uh, a childhood friend who's been kidnapped and she has to go and find it's am i getting am i getting hot am i getting warm yeah, it seems like it. Okay. I think so, I think there's something there. Okay, well, here we go. This is where we get even weirder. Okay. So, No Country for Old Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's just the Tommy Lee Jones story. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is the this is the Coupe de Gracie. Uh, <laughs> uh, no Country for Old Men in Black Swan. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. So, I, I you got me on that one. I don't know how you could mix if you if you could successfully mix Coen Brothers and Darren Aronofsky with Barry Soddenfeld, you win all the awards. I think in that one, um, Black Swan is an alien. Black, you think Black Swan's the alien? I think Black Swan is an alien. Okay, <laughs> who's also a ballerina? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. like those are otherworldly ballet skills. I think she's an alien, and then it is uh, older men in black, and also. Uh, Anton Shiguri is in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Tom, thank you. We really appreciate it. We always appreciate the emails that we get. Um, we do have... Uh, no, we don't have another one because we read that one last week. It was a bit light on feedback this uh, time around. So while we appreciate it, we want to hear more. We really do. And mm-hmm. seriously, again, we know we talk about sent writing us letters. Our P.O. box is on nerdonomy.com. Um, but just, again, seriously, seriously, seriously let us know if you mm-hmm. send us something because we don't know to check it unless we know it's coming. So mm-hmm. 
it could be quick. It can just it can be an email. It can be a tweet even that says, hey, I mailed you guys a letter. Mm-hmm. Or it could also be your angry tweet. I mailed you guys a letter five months ago. Thanks <laughs> for not reading it. You know, my owl must have died on the way. <laughs> um, also, if any of you are going to Silicon Valley Comic Con, if any of you are local or not local or traveling, uh, you know, around to come to it, um, I will be there. I believe maybe Roxy will also be there. Um, if you want to like find me and like hang out and talk about the podcast, you're welcome to uh, come find me. Um, I will be dressed up as an assortment of things. Uh, probably one day is going to be like death from the Sandman comics. Uh, one day will be a handmaid from the Handmaid's Tale. And another day will either be uh, Kaylee from Firefly or just me in a t-shirt that says social justice warlock. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, we'll post it on our Instagram or our Facebook or something. Uh, come find me. Maybe I'll, I don't know. Maybe I'll try to print up stickers or something. Come find me. Take a picture. We'll put it on our Instagram. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I actually might just join you guys because that's oh going to be God, during. It. Yeah, that'd be during my spring break. Uh, Vanessa's going to be doing like actory things and I'm not doing actory things at the moment. You so I might it. have the time. I just need to see if tickets are still available. So. Uh, yeah, they they still are. Yeah. Um, the the whole thing hasn't sold out. I think the only thing that is sold out is like Stan Lee's autograph and photo ops. Right. Which literally might be the last chance you get to meet him because. Yeah, I, I did it two years ago, y'all. Got it out of the way while he was still kicking a little harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo-hoo. And thankfully, they just they did confirm today that, that he's, he yeah is that gonna he be is there. going to be there. Just like God, and, God help you, Stanley. Yeah. You're a national treasure. You've put in your time. I don't know why you are still agreeing to make con conventions. Because, yeah, like go go rest. I, I mean, I saw his video today, and I gotta say, for a man who's been fighting pneumonia, he sounds pretty sharp still. Like, oh, <sighs> Excelsior! <laughs> exactly, Excelsior. Uh, guys, we got to get out of here. So it is that time. So, uh, but you know what? I forgot to mention one other thing, though, is if you do want to send us feedback, mm-hmm. uh, other than our peel box and all the other fancy nerdy ways you can do it, please just go to nerdonomy.com and click on that talk to us button, which will send us all an email to our inboxes or follow us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at nerdonomy. Mm-hmm. But please, more importantly, more than anything, if you're going to spread the word of nerd, when we say spread the word of nerd like a bird turd, we actually mean not just exactly. Thank you. Uh, we don't just mean telling your friends and family. We also mean if you see our posts, share them, retweet them, you know, please. That's the only way we're going to get a bigger audience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, on that note, I actually am going to end things. So it is that time to into our next <laughs> exciting episode where we talk about, you know, we get a little darker, but it's okay. It's a, it's a great conversation. Uh, the same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Later. And roll credits. Famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. I am a peddler by trade, by trade and by golly, by golly, by golly, I deal in magic and moonbeams and pretty, pretty colors. Ooh, I could sell you the most perfect pink. (laughs) Oh my God. Such a weird, I'm just imagining like him grinding on somebody and like that's what he's saying. Uh, No. (laughs) It's just 
right? It's like, oh, Santa Claus is looking, coming to town looking puppin' motherfucker. Just like, yes, I could sell you that pink. Oh, God, it's so bad. <laughs> this is all going in. <laughs> oh, we're sorry.